righty, everybody. I'm glad to have you guys here this morning. We're going to be in Luke 24 if you have your Bibles. If you don't, that's okay. The words, as always, will be on the screen behind you so that you can follow along with us. And I want to know real fast before we get going, where are my Amazon Prime people? Where are my can't-live-without-two-day shipping people, right? That free shipping. Um, you know, it's always puzzled me, right? Why, as a culture, are we so okay paying over $100 a year just to not have to worry about a couple of dollars shipping or waiting more than a couple of days for that package that we want. And then it hit me, right? It's because nobody likes waiting, right? We all hate waiting. I seriously don't think of anybody that can come to mind that when I say, hey, how do you like waiting? They're like, oh, Josh, I love it. It's amazing. I can't, I, I love to wait. I wait for everything in my life. Like that just doesn't exist, right? It's because, like I said, we... We hate waiting, even especially when it's something great on the other end, right? Maybe something that brings great joy or fun memories that will last a lifetime, like that Disney family vacation, right? Um, I don't know about you, but I'm a huge, I, I've slowly become a Disney fan as I was married, as I married into a, a family of Disney nuts. You can tell Abby that, she agrees. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Josh. I'm a huge Star Wars nerd, um, as Mike told me. Uh, Mike borderline on addiction a little bit, um, but it's okay, you know? We all have our hobbies. And so, as a Star Wars fan, last year was great because it was the first time in my life that I got to go to Hollywood Studios, go to Galaxy's Edge, Star Wars land. I got to drink the blue milk. I got to eat the Star Wars-themed food. It was amazing. But one of the best things was riding the ride, Rise of the Resistance, which is their newest ride. And I actually even got up at 6 a.m. that morning to hop into a digital queue to ride the ride at 2 p.m. So we got to the parks at 7 a.m. We're going through. I'm waiting all day long for this ride. I, I can't contain my excitement. And then we get to the ride, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I want to go back again, but I couldn't. Waiting was challenging that entire day because there was something on the other end of it that was so exciting. And maybe for you today, seniors in the room, as you're waiting for that, those colleges, right, where you're waiting to get that letter to hear if you got into that really great school, or maybe there's some excitement to an athlete in the room that maybe has suffered an injury and you just cannot wait to get back to the field and be with your team and play that sport that you have poured your life into. Waiting is hard when there's something exciting at the other end, right? But what do we do when waiting for something, hoping for something, does not turn out how we expect it to? When instead of joys and memories on this side of waiting, there's hardship or an uncertain future. Maybe instead of getting accepted to that college, you open that letter with excitement and it says, rejected, declined. Or you're waiting for that injury to heal and the doctor walks in the room and says, hey, this injury is going to stop you from ever playing that sport again. What do you do when everything you have lived for, that you have waited for, that you have hoped for, does not turn out how you expected it. What do you do when you feel like all hope is lost? 
when the very ground below you is crumbling and you begin that long journey home with sadness written across your face, what do you do? You know, during the first Easter Sunday in history, there was a lot of waiting. There was a lot of hoping. And there's a lot of sadness. See, Easter today for us is exciting, right? We wake up, we go to church, we celebrate Jesus is alive, we have great food waiting for us, family, friends, laughter, Easter egg hunts, whatever you do, it's all fun. But that's not how the first Easter turned out. And so last week we talked about that, right? Mike talked about how because Jesus is alive, we have hope. But I want to wind the clock back this morning a little bit and look at that morning before they knew, before the disciples, before Jesus' family knew that he was alive. Why? Because I think we would miss a great opportunity if we didn't look at what it looks like when all that we've lived for, all that we've hoped for, seems like it is crumbling below us. How do you find hope in the midst of a hardship? And there's a couple of people I want to look at before we jump into the scripture. The first is the women that went to the grave, right, to, to anoint the body of Jesus. Trudging slowly through the streets of Jerusalem very early on a Sunday morning, tears across their face going to anoint the, well, who they thought was the Savior, the resurrected king. How about Thomas, the disciple who doubted, who struggled so much believing that God was still alive. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved tenderly caring for Mary, the mother of Jesus, as he was told to do from Jesus on the cross. And how about Mary, her, own, her son, her firstborn, as she watched, nailed to the cross of the worst criminals, as he bled. What do you do when you, if you are one of these people and you feel like all hope is lost? Or how about Cleopas and his companion? If you don't know them, well, that's where we're at today in Luke 24. They are returning to Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. It's springtime, but there is no butterflies. There's no birds singing songs, bunnies hopping across the street, spring flowers. It's not there. They trudge their way home, lagging their feet with sadness written across their face because it seems like their hope is gone. Have you been there before? When all that you've hoped for seems to come crumbling down before you and you take that long road home with sadness written across your face? So that's where we're going to pick up. This is where they're at, Cleopas and his companion on the way to Emmaus. Words are on the screen, uh, if you got that in the back. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed with these, these things with, Jesus, with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. 
The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, listen to this, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter in his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So here's where we are. Jesus has died. He has been taken off the cross and laid in the tomb. Saturday has gone by. Sunday morning is here. Jesus told his disciples he would rise again in three days, but that has not happened. And now his body is gone. And he has not risen from the dead is what they believe. So what do you do when you have spent so long hoping and for something that doesn't come true? You attempt to pick yourself up. And take that long journey home with sadness written across your face. The hurt is still there, the pain is still there, but you do your best to continue on. It says that when he asked what things they were talking about, their faces were downcast. Sadness written across their face. They begin to tell him what happened to Jesus of Nazareth, then can you imagine being known for the rest of history as the man who told Jesus all the things Jesus went through on the cross? I'm not sure I'd want that reputation the rest of my life. People can get to heaven, oh, are you the one that told Jesus about how Jesus died on the cross? Not a reputation I'd want to have personally, but Jesus still listens. And they say, we had hoped He was the one that was going to redeem Israel. See, they had a hope in their minds, but it didn't pan out how they were expecting. Have you been there before? Hoped so deeply for something that didn't turn out the way you wanted it? So Jesus responds with this profound statement I don't want us to miss. He says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. What we see here in this story so far is that clearly these disciples knew in their head all the knowledge they needed of Jesus. They knew it. They knew what the scripture said. They knew that he would have to die, that he would have to suffer, that he would rise again. They knew all the knowledge of what Jesus told them. They knew the scriptures, yet something didn't click for them. They struggled to believe in their heart. They had all the head knowledge, but lacked the heart to believe what was supposed to happen. And that's where I believe this story shows us how to find hope in the midst of our worst struggles. And that is, hope does not just come from our heart, from our head, but our heart as well. Hope does not just come from our head, but our heart as well. See, what that means is we can go to church, we can play the church games, we can read our Bible, we can pray three times a day, we can memorize Romans Road, we can learn and memorize and say John 3.16, we can help that old lady across the street, we can bring the groceries in, we can serve people like Christ served, we can know all the things about Jesus. But until we believe it in our hearts as truth, 
we are always going to struggle in hardship. So what do you do when your heart is not in it? Like you know what you need to believe, but you can't find the will to tell your heart this is what you need to believe. Psalm 42 talks to this idea of a disconnect between your head and your heart saying, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan to the heights of Hermon from Mount Mazar. See, a pastor by the name of Matt Chandler comments on this, asking the question, what do you do when your mind is there, but your heart isn't? Like, you know what you need to be doing. You know, your mind knows, but your heart doesn't. What do you do when there is a gap between your head and your heart? There's a common theme throughout Scripture of waiting on the Lord. But waiting is not easy, is it? In this passage, David is in a fight with himself, saying, why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Put your trust in God. Worship God. Fall into God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why aren't you buying into this? So how do you wait on the Lord when your heart isn't in it? Position yourself under God's waterfall of grace. Walk in obedience one step at a time, one day at a time, asking God to restore your joy in him, being honest where you're struggling with him, saying, God, like, I know I'm supposed to believe it, but I'm not. I'm struggling in my heart to believe you are who you promised to be. You promised that I would make it through these trials, but I don't feel like I can. Be honest with your struggle to God, and then position yourself under his grace that says, even when you're doubting me, I will still see you through. Because those who wait on the Lord, he will renew their strength. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. See, when we try to find a way out of our despair with head knowledge only, we will not make it. But when we use our heart and believe that Jesus is the way out of our struggle, when we truly believe, then we will find victory. And see, moving forward in the story, Jesus, we see Jesus walks through the scriptures beginning with Moses and through every prophet and everything that's said about the Messiah, the Savior to come, Jesus himself. And before they know it, they're at Emmaus, seven miles later. And it is about dark, and so Jesus acts though he's about to continue on, and the disciples are like, no, no, come eat with us, like dine with us, because it is not safe to walk alone in the dark, because lack of light, wild animals, robbers, hazards, so forth. So Jesus accepts. And it says that at the dinner table, they break bread together. And the eyes of the disciples, Cleopas and his companion, were opened. 
and they recognized Jesus for who he was. And then Jesus disappears. This is what the scripture says. At once, they ran back to Jerusalem to tell the others. And so with this in mind, I think there's two ways I believe we can apply this to our lives today. And the first is this. I'm sorry, we'll miss that one. (laughs) Wait on the Lord for your hope to come. Wait on the Lord for your hope to come. See, on that road of Emmaus to Emmaus, what do you think these disciples felt? Sorrow, numbness, a loss of hope? Did their last three years of following Jesus feel wasted because he was now gone? Listen, there will always come a time in your life at some point where you experience a struggle to find hope in your situation. And this time, we have a choice to make. How will you wait? Will you wait in despair? Will you wait in joy? Or there's a third option that I believe we as Christians are called to in our waiting, and that is an active waiting. One that says, even in my current circumstances, God is still powerfully at work, even if he doesn't, even if it doesn't seem he is in my current sorrow. This act of waiting is called hope. Hope is walking in the tension of the moment saying, I know the great I am, God himself, who has promised hope to us. Hope is saying that in the midst of waiting, I know the Lord's silence does not equal his absence. Listen to that. Listen to that one more time. I know that God being silent in my hardship does not mean he is not there. Do you feel in Lord's silence that maybe he has abandoned you? That maybe it is up to you to decide and get your way out of this hole? Hear me now. The Lord's silence in your hardship does not mean he is gone. We are called to an active waiting, an active hope. The disciples' fear is understandable because today we have the Bible, right? We see that in the end, Jesus wins. Jesus might have died, but he rose from the grave. He went back to heaven. He's preparing a place for us. We see that at the end in the book of Revelation that Jesus comes back, that we win, that victory is ours if we believe in him. We know all these things. But the disciples didn't have that. So put yourself in their shoes. Fear is understandable. But for you today, you know how the story ends. Spoiler alert, Jesus wins. So why are we finding ourselves in a moment to struggle to believe that God will see us through in our hardship? And Psalm 42 shows us how we can find hope. Wait on the Lord. For those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Is your heart weary and tired? Wait on the Lord. Is it towards the end of the cliff? Wait on the Lord. Is it beat down from that horrible news? Wait on the Lord. Is it not buying into what your mind knows to be true? Wait on the Lord. 
Wait on the Lord, and he will renew your strength. One final thing I want to walk you to, or have you walk away with, comes from the end of this passage. And it says, now that you've waited on the Lord, right? Once you've had your strength renewed, your task is not done. Next, you have to run to tell others about the hope you have in Jesus. Run to tell others about the hope you have in Jesus. It says that at the moment Jesus disappeared from their midst, they at once got up and ran to Jerusalem to tell the others of what they had just witnessed. See, the tomb was opened and emptied. Jesus opened the scriptures and they were fulfilled. Their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus for who he was. And now they had to go tell someone because they couldn't keep it to themselves. Remember, they had just traveled seven miles to get to Emmaus. It was dark now. But that did not stop them from picking up and running seven more miles back to Jerusalem to share of the hope they had just received in Jesus. And so what about you? When you were in the same scenario as these disciples were, when you had lost hope, sadness was written across your face, and you were in a moment of despair, then Jesus shows up and offers you hope. Do you decide to soak it all in and feel good about yourself? Or do you at once begin to search out people in your life to share of the hope Jesus has just given you in your life? I pray you choose that second option. So today, are you tired and weary? Are you in need of hope? Wait on the Lord, and he will renew your strength. And when he gives you the hope you need to move forward, to walk on, to continue down the road in your life, when he gives you that hope, run to share it with others. Because maybe they're struggling with knowing all about Jesus but they don't quite believe it. And you get to be the voice in their life that gives them hope to continue in their struggle. How do you find hope? Wait on the Lord. Then share your hope with others. Let's pray.